Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guest is the New York Times bestselling author, Jeffrey Deaver, and he is out with his brand new Coulter Shaw novel. This one is called Hunting Time. It is available everywhere, and I always love it when Jeff brings Coulter Shaw back for a visit about once a year lately. And Jeff, the, the fortune hunter for hire, is at it again, and this time there's nuclear weapons involved. There's, there's, there's plots for kidnapping. You've got it all meshed into one here. This is a very exciting book. Oh, well, Brian, good to talk to you again, and thank you for that lovely... Um, introduction. Um, yes, I mean, I, I actually, as it turns out, I'm, I'll be teaching a course later today on the subject of pacing in uh, crime novels. And uh, looking back over hunting time, I realized that I'm kind of out of breath because it uh, moves uh, like lightning. I, I mean, that's a cliche. I tell my students never to use cliches. Avoid cliches like the plague. Um, but I, I can't help it. It just is a, a nonstop uh, book uh, takes place over a couple of days only, lots of twists and turns, followed at the end a big surprise ending, followed by another big surprise ending, followed by another big surprise ending. Uh, I do like my twists and turns and surprises. You brought up the term pacing, and I always enjoy reading that in books and, and thinking about it as I read books, because I've read novels that pace so slowly. I think of a John Irving novel that, that just goes on and on, and then I think of, of novels like yours and like some of the other thriller writers who, they're quick-paced, and yeah, a lot of times you look back and say, my God, 12 hours passed from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, or 15 hours, or whatever. And so when you sit down to do that, is that something you are consciously aware of as you're writing? Or I mean, can you teach pacing? Oh, I... Um uh, and, and it's it's one of my goals, and it always has been in, in my uh, books. I I've written one book a long time ago, Praying for Sleep, that is almost in real time. It takes place over about eight hours, and if you listen to a, the story, you know, it takes place over about eight hours. And you know, if you listen to a book on on a tape or a, a download, it's about eight to ten hours. Some of them are longer than that a bit, but I want the the action to unfold. In, in real time. It was, it's kind of tricky to do. But, um, you know, I think about what Mickey Spillane, the great Pulp Fiction writer from some years ago, said, people don't read books to get to the middle. <laughs> we read books to get to the end. And uh, pacing has a lot to do with that. And I, I probably like, you know, like me, you, you put books down. It gets to a, uh, you know, maybe the literary style is fine and maybe an interesting concept, but you know, you just plod along and plod along and nothing happens for a while. And you think, you know, I've got other more important things to do. So it's a very conscious decision of mine to move the books from start to finish. You know, largely because we authors write what we enjoy reading. And there are people who like to delve into a, you know, a really thick, uh, you mentioned uh, John Irving. Uh, I, I'm a fan, but I have to say those do move kind of slowly from time to time. And you can enjoy the way words go together, the literary passages and so forth. That's, that's something we get out of the book. But I want just a visceral gut reaction of nonstop, uh, you know, pedal to the floor uh, kind of story. Uh, your question about teaching pacing is interesting. Uh, and, and oddly enough, one of the first things I say is, I can't teach it. <laughs> I can't teach it to you. However, uh, it's instinct. We know when a, a scene in a movie uh, cuts too quickly. Or we know when the joke doesn't land because jokes are about pacing, of course. And um, uh, it, we just know that. However, there are, are tricks that we can 
we can use, we as authors can use, to, um, you know, make sure that the, uh, the pacing works, and that has to do with, uh, you know, creating subplots that allow us to cut from one scene, leave that scene on a high note, a cliffhanger, cut to another scene, and then uh, after a certain amount of time, come back and resolve the first conflict. Um, you know, those things can be uh, can be tough, but ultimately, uh, you know, we just know when it when it laughs, when we laugh at a joke, or we don't laugh, or when the movie ends at just the right time. Well, I think about pacing in terms of you, you related it to movies and thriller movies. As a thriller writer, are you in competition with other thriller writers as much as you're in competition with other forms of medium that people uh, enjoy? Brilliant question, and it's something I thought about a lot. Uh, no, we, we authors can be very petty and jealous when it comes to reading about another author getting a bigger advance than we got. That's, but that's a different that's a different matter. No, uh, you can uh, afford. I'm talking about competition. You can afford to to buy both a Michael Connelly book and a Jeffrey Deaver book. So it's not like we make uh, you know Lamborghinis versus Maseratis. Um, but what we do compete with, and this is uh, something I've spent a lot of time. Uh, working into my philosophy of writing, is uh, nowadays basically streaming television, which is, uh, much of which is brilliant. I, I go to Netflix uh, every night or every other night with uh, kind of a daunting feeling of how many choices am I going to have today, and and there's always something new. I can't, I can't believe it. I, I put on Netflix last night and three new shows popped up. Uh, all of them look good. I don't know that I want to commit myself to, you know, two seasons of of 10 episodes each, but here's how we authors compete with that, uh, because it's easier, and I know this from first-hand experience, to sit down on a couch with a remote control and enjoy the passive entertainment of a TV show. Cinema in the theater, too, to some extent, but that's a different, that's a different thing. That's a, um, a, you know, a phenomenon of uh, going out to an event. I'm talking about picking up a book at home versus picking up a remote control at home. Remote controls are easier. We don't have to think so hard. I mean, remote controls being a metaphor for what you're watching on, on, on TV. Um, we can stop it and uh, uh, go get a beer or go get a cup of coffee and come back and uh, then continue watching. It's, um, you know, the sort of thing where we're sort of engaged but not really engaged. Not to the extent that with a book we are totally consumed because we participate with the author. We picture the scenes in our head. We hear the characters' voices. We kind of smell, based on our, our memories, our sense memories, what the author is writing about. So I, I feel that a book is a more engaging, emotional, creative experience than anything else. Um, so what have I done to meet that, to, to meet that competition? I write in a different style. I call it a streaming style. My books are shorter now, shorter chapters, shorter paragraphs, more dialogue, less introspection. Um, my my plots and themes are still the same. They just are trying to take on shows like The Queen's Gambit and uh, Breaking Bad, things like that. All of it, The White Lotus, all of which I love. But I, I think books can um, uh, books can stand up to that. And I want to make sure readers understand that they can, uh, you know, they don't have to sacrifice that that immediate rapid enjoyment of a TV show uh, for a book. Uh, a book can do the same thing. 
I'm chatting with Jeffrey Deaver about his brand new Coulter Shaw novel. It's called Hunting Time. It's available everywhere. Jeffrey, uh, Jeff, another one of the things that I enjoy about the Coulter Shaw novels is the little rules that he has for that they they are almost on a side. They it's him talking to the reader, and one that I jotted down was never let surprises dull your awareness. And that was that was one that was early on in the book that I that I happened to jot down. But it it almost reminds me of a of a John Irving style from the world according to Garp when he would he he kind of did that back in the early eighties when that book came out or late seventies whenever it was. But th- those those rules it seems like it's his way of talking directly to the reader. And do you get that sense as you write that these these rules you almost pull them out? They just you know it's not something you set about to write. You just pull them out and are able to kind of shrink down even into five or six words, really the theme of the entire chapter? Sure. That's another really good point, Brian. I, uh, um, you know, I'm aware of the, and I'm sure your listeners are too, uh, the concept of the fourth wall in something creative. The fourth wall is, is again, a metaphor from uh, from television or, or the movie, and, and basically it means that uh, you know, you've got the set, uh, the, the artificial set, like a, a room, a, a, a you know the bar in the old west. Uh, it could be the uh, you know the boardroom where the uh, actors are meeting to do something nefarious. But the fourth wall is the, the missing wall. That's where the camera is. That's where the director is. And um, occasionally you'll see um, the the actor intentionally. The, the scriptwriters put this in. Turn to the fourth wall. In other words, turn to the camera and say something or perhaps give a look and that's the the creator the scriptwriter director or the author of the book uh communicating directly to the uh the reader and um you have to be careful you don't want to disrupt the story you don't want to make it uh take take the the reader uh out of the emotional uh situation that the author has created but that can be a, a source of great intimacy uh, between the author and the reader, and those never rules are exactly that. And some of them are um, things that I kind of live by, um, like you know, don't let surprise uh, uh, interfere with your life. <laughs> don't let. <laughs> I don't think this is one in the book, but it would be. Don't let too many streaming series disrupt your writing schedule. Things like that, and uh, uh, so that's yeah, that is something uh, that you know we authors. Our job is to tell a really good, fast-paced story. But on the other hand, uh, you know, let's have a little fun. This 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 book should be enjoyable, and a little wink, wink, nod, nod to the readers is never a bad thing. Well, I know the Lincoln Rhyme, the Bone Collector series, had a, a one-season run on Paramount Plus. And do you think you would be? good at writing for television because it's a totally different medium and you know they always say everything in books is free but every word in tv costs money so is there a certain trick to making that leap from writing novels to writing television well it's interesting you mentioned that um for two reasons one uh the never game the first of the culture shaw um, um series has been bought by uh, cbs and um or whoever owns CBS now, it's kind of hard to keep track of all the you know, corporate ownership in the entertainment world. Uh, and that will be a series next year uh, starring Justin Hartley from uh, This Is Us. He'll be playing Coulter Shaw. And I, ha- I have not been involved in that uh, project other than I, I know Ken Olin, the director uh, and producer, uh, you know, quite well. Um, but uh, but the, uh, Ben Winter, uh, the author, uh, has uh, the screenwriter, has taken my book and done a wonderful job with it. I really wasn't involved in that. However, I have written uh, an original 
series um, that we're shopping around right now to, uh, you know, the platforms is Amazon, um, Hulu, uh, the, 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 you know, they, they're like the, the networks uh, as well, although this would be more cable-oriented. Um, and it is a very different process. However, because I write in that uh, abbreviated, rapid style I was just mentioning, uh, that's pretty conducive to, um, to television. And I also write a lot of dialogue. And I also enjoy these twists and turns. I, I just don't want to tell a linear story. I love the, uh, the, the 90 degree turn where you think the story is going one way and bang, it goes an entirely different one. And, um, and, and then, you know, jumping back and forth in time, which uh, is a, uh, you know, a wonderful device to uh, keep the readers, uh, you know, excited and interesting. I think the Breaking Bad which told on the, you know, the surface. I, I loved it. It was one of my favorite television series. But on the surface, we see the story of Walter and Skyler White and his um, brother-in-law Hank, the drug agent, and of course the uh, the bad the baddies in the drug world, uh, the meth world. Um, and, and that's going along in real time, present day. And then we'll suddenly we'll we'll cut to a scene with some children. And, you know, well, it's odd. Where did these kids come from? Well, it turns out those were the, this is a flashback, a brilliant flashback that relates to what's going on in the, uh, the present day when we see the adults that those children grew up uh, into. And, uh, you know, that, that just is just so perfect for television. And so I, I, I've enjoyed writing it, and, you know, we'll see what, see what happens. There's a lot of content out there, a lot of, a lot of creators uh, so there's a lot of competition in that field, but on the other hand, there's a big demand for it because of all those, you know, those series that are, are, are showing up now on the various platforms. I've heard, like, um, I think YouTube is, I may be misstating this, but I think YouTube is doing some original production, and, uh, you know, pretty soon I'll see uh, my dry cleaner up the street is going to start producing original series. Who knows? There's just so much material out there. Do you find yourself hypercritical watching these series because you've written so much dialogue in your life that, oh, I wouldn't have done that? I, I'm really bad to watch a movie with. I'll, uh, I'll give you one example. And, uh, you know, I love Martin Scorsese. For heaven's sakes, he's, what, a, what a brilliant talent he is. But there was a movie called The Departed, for which I think he, he may have won, uh, you know, he, I think he may have won the Oscar for that. I, 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 he, he deserves it for a lot of things. I'm not sure that was the movie he deserved it for, but, but anyway, that's the politics of Hollywood. But there's a scene in it, I'm not going to give anything away here, but where a, um, uh, these, these uh, criminals, they're, they're brilliant criminals, um, one kills another. Okay, he kills them in his, his uh, apartment. Well, when the victim walks in, he happens to be carrying a bag of groceries, he's been shopping, he walks in and opens the door, and we see in the background in the hall a couple of people walking down the hall, and then we see this reaction shot on his face when uh, the killer, uh, the other bad guy with a, uh, with a silenced gun, steps out, and they, their eyes bead, and he knows it's the end, and bang, he shoots the, shoots the villain. Well, the door's open, okay? He shoots him, blood shoots out, so, you know, Scorsese film, lots of blood, the blood spatters on the, the wall, uh, behind him in the corridor. Now, I'm sorry, if I were going to kill somebody, I would probably wait until he closed the door. Uh, and that way, 
the death would be a secret. It would be easier to escape. I don't think any professional hitman is going to, you know, leave evidence like that. Well, it was certainly a dramatic scene, but I thought right there, you know what? <clears throat> That's, this, this is not credible. I, I, he's lost me there. And one other thing that, that I have just a bone to pick with the makers of the James Bond uh, films, and I, um, you know, I wrote a James Bond novel. I love the character. But there's a scene where Daniel Craig, in one of the, uh, I can't remember which it is, but one of the opening scenes, he's shooting at the bad guys, and the bad guys are shooting at him, and his, his gun is out of bullets. Well, he looks at the gun as if looking at it is going to, you know, he's angry. Like, why did you run out of bullets? I mean, and then he throws the gun away. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was a Walther. Uh, a Walther cost seven or $800. You can buy more bullets later. You can put the gun in your pocket, and then you can, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can make sure it, it works later. Uh, it lost me. I said, you know what? Bond wouldn't do that. And so it's, I watched the rest of the movie and saw the special effects, and it was okay. But I thought, you know, they've lost me. I'm uh, overly critical. But you don't want to see a movie with me because I'll whisper something like that uh, to my, my, my partner, and she'll say, oh, just shut up, Jeff. Just shut up. <laughs> oh, it's always so fun to get your insight. The book is Hunting Time. It's the latest Coulter Shaw novel. Jeffrey Deaver is the New York Times bestselling author and creator of this series and many others. Jeffrey, it's always fun to talk to you. Have a great holiday season, and thanks for joining us again. Same to you, Brian. We'll talk next time around. It's a date. Thanks. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. But keep me searching.